morning. In a moment, we'll be pulling up a video, and it'll be about a two-minute video. And in this video, you'll see Pastor Kenny Martin. Some of you know him from PCJC Family Camp a number of years back. He was a bishop nominee this year and actually was not elected. And that makes somehow what I'll be showing you even more powerful to me, that he is ministering powerfully to our church nationally, regardless of whether he's elected bishop or not. And God is speaking through him to our denomination. So at the end of the final business session, Pastor Kenny came up to do just a short prayer time over all 2,000 plus of us who were there at General Conference. And I didn't start filming this at the very beginning because at first I was just experiencing it, and then I realized I wanted to be able to share it with you all. So when the video starts, you're going to see Pastor Kenny, who has called up um, actually a Southern California pastor, Pastor Fraser Venter. And you'll see Pastor Fraser sitting in a seat with like a prayer cloth over him. And it's, it's intense and it's clear that something amazing is going on. And then you'll see Pastor Kenny doing what God invited him to do. And I want to invite you to watch this video. And then there's, there's something else after that that connects in a really special way with us, the PCJC. So let's watch this two-minute video. I got to watch his feet. Look at his feet, God. All crusty looking. <laughs> but I wash your feet for the journey. The next generation, we wash your feet for the journey. We wash your feet for the journey. It's going to get messy out there, but we wash your feet for the journey. The next generation, we wash your feet for the journey. Uh, uh. You will be world changers. And I'll pick up the mental from Dr. Martin Luther King, a servant leader. The word heard his speech, I have a dream. But I remember his last speech. I've been to the mountaintop, and much of, much of a part of his speech says, let us rise with a greater readiness, with a greater determination. Let us move on these powerful days, these days of challenge to make America what it ought to be. We have an opportunity to make America a better nation, and I want to thank God for allowing me to be with you. We have some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind like anybody. I like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he allowed me to go up to the mountain and I looked over and I seen the promised land. I might not get there with you, but I want you to know this afternoon that we as a people we will get to the promised land. I'm so happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. 
I view Pastor Kenny as like an elder statesman of the Free Methodist Church USA, just blessing all of us. Pastor Fraser is in his 50s. So when Pastor Kenny speaks of this mantle upon the next generation, I believe we all are included in that. He's not just speaking of the young adults or the youth. He's speaking of all of us. And it was a powerful prayer time of just praying God's blessing upon this next whole generation that we are part of in the Free Methodist Church USA. At that point, I was already just weeping. It was deeply moving to me. And then something even more incredible happened. I was sitting with our PCJC group of delegates, and one of our delegates is Pastor Jim Miyabe. Many of you know him. He pastors the Venice Church. And we were sitting there, and then I saw Pastor Jim get up from his seat right after this. And I saw Pastor Jim walk up, and I realized Pastor Jim's going up on the platform. And without asking permission from anybody, Pastor Jim was just sensing from God that God was inviting him to do this. And he went up on the platform, and I, I caught this picture of it, and Pastor Jim washed Pastor Fraser's feet. And at that point, I was completely weeping, just um, overwhelmed by God's love for the Free Methodist Church USA, God's love for the PCJC. I was overwhelmed by the reality that God is moving in our denomination, that he has more for our denomination that he's leading us into. And I was overwhelmed that we, the PCJC, got to be part of this special moment in an incredible way because Pastor Jim chose to be brave for God and to listen to what he sensed God saying and to act on it without asking anybody for permission to do it. He simply acted on what God was telling him to do. It was incredibly powerful, and I'm I'm so glad that I was able to capture a little bit of it and share it with you this morning. Let's pray together just over what we've seen here and then heading into today's message. God, we thank you that you are moving in our churches. God, we thank you that, that you love our churches. You love us. God, we thank you that you have more. We thank you that you have called us to be used by you um, in humility and reliance on you to be used by you. God, um, one of the messages we heard in Florida was a message of how we can't, but God, you can. Thank you for that truth that as we humble ourselves and as we listen to you and respond to you, that you change things, that you change the world, that you bring your kingdom. And God, I pray this morning as we look at your scripture together, God, I ask that you would speak to us, that you would bring new freedom to us. We'll be looking at worry, and God, I pray that you would help us to know your way for us to worry less and then to be able to live for more for you, God. So thank you, God, for what you are doing. Thank you for how you are with us. We are listening for your voice, God, and we pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. A recent dream that I had in this dream, I was in Uganda. Many of you know that Uganda is a country that's close to my heart, and I love being there. But in this dream, something was wrong. It was the end of a a mission trip in this dream, and I needed to pack up my belongings, but they were strewn all over the place, and I couldn't even really find them all, and I did not seem to be able to pack them. And eventually, I just left some of my belongings there, and we headed to the airport. And then we got to the airport and found out that we were late. In this dream, we were so late that it was clear we were going to miss our flight. But not only that, there did not seem to be any way to book a new flight or even any way to talk with anyone about what to do. And so in the dream, my teammates and I just wandered around trying to figure out what to do, just confused and and not seeing any change in our situation. And it just went on and on and on. For me, that's what worry feels like. For me, that's a picture of worry. And these past weeks, I reached out to friends over social media asking them what would be a vivid word picture that would capture what worry is for you. And I want to share what some of of you, some of my other friends on social media shared. Worry is continuing burning sparklers that hit and burn you, but you can't stop it. Worry is, worry brews in the pit of my gut, bubbling up and demanding my attention. It nags me. It agitates me. It doesn't let me rest. It resides in the core of my insecurities and doubts. Maybe that's what worry feels like for some of you. Worry is words like shame, expectations, being let down or letting people down, a concept of time, pictures of calendars, of event after event, a feeling of driving and being lost, sounds, an alarm going off. Worry is falling, like dropping down the steep part of a roller coaster and it doesn't stop. Maybe that's a picture that you identify with for worry. Worry is, worry is like sitting behind a pole at a theater or venue. It's slightly obstructing your view, and though you can see around the side of it, it always obstructs the view, and you cannot quite escape having it impede what you're trying to enjoy. Maybe worry feels like that to some of you. This next one is a little whimsical. Someone wrote, Worry makes me think about a character in the Dr. Seuss book on Beyond Zebra, a character called the Quandary. The letter Quan for Quandary is a little imaginary creature that lived on a shelf in the ocean floor. His top and bottom looked the same, and as he stood there worrying, he pondered whether his bottom side was up or top side was down. And the person wrote, whenever I think of worry, that's the picture that I get. That, that kind of worry that doesn't even make any logical sense, but it, it stays with us and holds us down anyway. Worry is, worry to me is like being locked in a room and you cannot find the key to get out. Maybe that's how worry feels like for some here. 
Worry is a heart pounding faster than usual, and surrounding things begin intensifying. This person wrote, that's personally how I feel whenever worry sets in. And then finally, this next one fits what we've been experiencing here in Southern California. Worry is, worry is like persistent earthquake aftershocks that keep on happening to the point that you can never rest. Maybe that's how worry feels for some of us. I think we all worry. And Jesus has an invitation to us in our worry to receive his invitation to be able to worry less so we can live for more. And that's what we'll be exploring today. And of course, the question is how? This worry is deep inside of us. How can we worry less? It's easy to say just worry less, but how? So Jesus has some words for us to minister to us, to help us to worry less and live for more. We're continuing our sermon series on the Gospel of Luke, and we're in Luke chapter 12. At this point, Jesus is on his way to his death, and everything that he does in these remaining chapters takes on an added importance because he is choosing to do these things and to say these things and to minister in these ways, knowing that he is on the way to his death. In the passage we'll be looking at today, Jesus has just spoken to the crowds a parable about a rich fool. The rich fool has so much grain that he doesn't even know how to store it. And so he decides that he'll build bigger barns, he'll store his grain in the larger barns, and then he'll just relax and take it easy. And Jesus calls this man a fool. He says that this very night... Your life will be demanded from you, and then what's going to happen from all the grain that you have? I think this rich man was trying to insulate himself from worry by building large barns that could store all of this grain that could provide for him. This rich man wasn't living for more. He was trying to insulate against worry, but not living for more. And I believe Jesus would invite us to worry less and to live for more. So our passage picks up the story when Jesus turns from the crowds and he turns to his disciples, the people who have chosen to follow him. I always want to lean in when I see Jesus turning to his disciples because we're disciples and I want to know what Jesus wants to say to us. And so we'll pick up the story as Jesus turns to his disciples in Luke chapter 12 at verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. And Jesus says, Your life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Years ago, when I first started reading the Bible, a friend shared that scripture with me. I still have this old, really wrinkled, kind of browned piece of paper from years ago with a version of this scripture on it. I was in a season in my life where I was so 
worry, just living in worry, a failure of messing up, of being less than perfect. And a friend of mine gave me this scripture uh, to encourage me to be able to trust God and worry less. I associate this scripture with the story of Martha and Mary. Earlier in Luke, we um, spent time looking at the story of these two sisters. Um, Jesus comes to stay in their home, and Martha does all the preparations to welcome Jesus. And meanwhile, Jesus is teaching, and Martha's sister Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, ignoring the preparations, and just listening to Jesus. And Martha goes to Jesus and says, don't you care that my sister is not helping me? Tell her to help me. And Jesus has this reply, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Indeed, only one thing. Mary, sitting at my feet, listening to me, she has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Jesus invites us not to worry. It doesn't mean that we won't do work. It doesn't mean that we'll be irresponsible. It doesn't mean not to make plans. But he's inviting us to worry less and to live for more. How does worry affect your life and my life? What does worry keep us from doing? How would we be living for God differently if we had less worry, what change would that make in our lives? Let's continue with Jesus' words in verse 24. Jesus says, Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Jesus says, since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? He invites us to consider the ravens. You know, sometimes I think we think of scripture as nice, beautiful sayings that you could put like on a plaque and put on the wall. This is not just a nice, beautiful saying. Ravens are not even beautiful birds. Um, In the Old Testament, ravens were unclean birds. Jesus is not pointing to this beautiful, idyllic picture of, of birds that trust in God. He is pointing to unclean birds and saying, consider even them, even the ravens. Jesus uses the language of farming. The ravens don't sow They don't reap. They don't have storerooms. They don't have barns. I thought about what Jesus would have said to update this to today. He might have said, Ravens don't drive on the 405 freeway to work each day. Ravens don't have a bank account. They don't have a 401k. Ravens haven't done investment planning or retirement planning. And yet God feeds them. Those are the powerful words for us. And yet God feeds them. The ravens don't do any of the things that we humans do to try to provide for ourselves. And yet God feeds them. I'm reminded of how Jesus, of how God has always fed his people. 
I think of the Exodus when the people of Israel were coming out from slavery. They had been slaves for generations and generations. And they were coming out from slavery towards freedom and towards the promised land. And scripture says that in Exodus 16, about a month and a half after they had left Egypt, the people of Israel start complaining. They forget what slavery was like, and they want to go back. They say that back in slavery, at least they had enough food to eat. But in the desert, on the way to the promised land, they think that they're going to starve. And so Moses cries out to God on behalf of the people. And God tells Moses that God himself will rain down food, the manna, for the people of Israel. And yet God feeds them. It's powerful words of provision from God. Jesus says, how much more valuable are you than birds? He's arguing and making a a line of reasoning from, from the lesser to the greater. God even feeds the birds. How much more so will he feed you? Jesus points out that we can't even add even a bit of time to our life. And so why do we take it upon ourselves to worry about providing for ourselves when we can't even control how long our lives are? We're completely reliant on God. And Jesus continues, and he gives a second example in Luke chapter 12, verse 27. He says, Consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you, Jesus says, that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these flowers. Jesus says, if if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, perhaps for fuel, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, how much more will he clothe you? You have little faith, Jesus says. Once again, Jesus uses the language of work. The wildflowers don't labor, they don't spin, they don't clock in and out of work, they don't have bosses and co-workers, and yet God dresses them. Jesus says that the flowers are dressed better than Solomon, this Old Testament, incredibly wealthy King Solomon. Scripture tells us that King Solomon's wealth was so great that when a famous queen, the Queen of Sheba, came to visit King Solomon and she saw his table with the food on it, his palace, his officials, his servants, his cupbearers and offerings, Scripture says that the Queen of Sheba was overwhelmed by what she saw. And yet Jesus says that the flowers are dressed better by God than even Solomon was. As I think of how God clothes us, I think of a tragic time in salvation history. I think of the fall of mankind when the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, chose to listen to the serpent and to distrust God and relationship with God was broken. And for the first time, humanity, Adam and Eve, felt a separation from God. They recognized that they were naked and they hid from God. And in this time of great sin, this most tragic time in salvation history, 
God's mercy shows as God makes garments for Adam and for Eve, and he clothes them. God has always clothed his people. He has always provided. And so Jesus says, how much more will he clothe you? The flowers are thrown into the fire. They're temporary. But human beings are made for eternity. How much more will he provide for you? And Jesus calls us people of little faith when we doubt that he will provide for us. One friend commented that worry is like practical atheism because we're ignoring the fact that we have a God who loves us, who provides for us. And so Jesus tells us, worry less, live for more. Let's pick up his words at verse 29. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. I see this as a turning point in this passage, because Jesus has been telling us not to, he's been telling us what not to do. He's been saying, don't worry. Consider these examples of my provision, and don't worry. Now he's telling us what to do. We're moving from the worry less to the live for more. He says, don't set your heart on what you will eat or drink, but rather set your heart on his kingdom. Don't just seek for what you will eat or drink, but seek his kingdom. And so the question is, how do we do this? Again, it's easy to just say, worry less. God calls us to worry less. But how do we do this? How do we get rid of those sparklers that keep on hitting our arms, those earthquake aftershocks that we can never get past and be at peace from, that pole that keeps us from fully enjoying the life God has called us to because we're constantly having to look around that pole of worry? How do we get past those? Jesus calls God our Father. That's not true of the ravens or flowers. God is our Father. We are made in his image. He knows what we need. He provides for us. I want to share a a historical story. I came across the story as I was preparing for this message. It's a story from the time of the Civil War, And it's an incredible story that brings together American history along with our own Methodist heritage. This story takes place in 1861 when Abraham Lincoln had just been elected president. And um, it was a couple months till he would be inaugurated. And so Abraham Lincoln was taking a tour through the U.S., meeting the people. And, you know, this was the time of the beginning of the Civil War. Some states had already seceded, and it looked likely that more were going to. And so everybody was worried, and everybody was asking President Lincoln, what are you going to do? Is our country going to fall apart? Is there truly going to be a full Civil War? What is going to happen? It was just a time of widespread worry. 
And so Lincoln went on this tour and arrived in New York, and people continued to ask him, what is going to happen? And there continued to be this pervasive sense of worry. And at one point, as people kept on expressing their worry, Lincoln told an incredible story, and this story connects with our Methodist heritage. He tells the story of a river called the Fox River, and we have a photo of the Fox River. You can see it's, it's not a creek. It's a pretty big river. Remember, this is in the 1800s. Lincoln had been a lawyer, and he would travel around on a circuit from town to town. And he would travel on horseback, and he would have to cross various rivers to get to the different towns. And the lawyers weren't the only ones who went on circuits because there were Methodist preachers who went on preaching circuits from town to town. And the Methodist preachers had to cross the rivers and travel in all kinds of weather in order to preach the gospel. And the Methodist preachers had to learn a way to worry less so that they could live for more. And so Lincoln tells the story as he tries to reassure the people in regard to the worry they were feeling about the Civil War. He tells a story of years ago when he was traveling on a circuit as a lawyer, and the weather was especially bad, and he was coming towards the Fox River, and he and the other lawyers with him were going to have to cross this river. And I gather that at that time there weren't any bridges because Lincoln is speaking of somehow fording the river, somehow making it across this river on horseback. And so Lincoln and his fellow lawyers saw the weather was extra bad. And that night at the place where they were staying, they were incredibly worried. They knew the Fox River was ahead, and they didn't know what to do. And here's the story Lincoln tells. He shares that that night at the place where they were staying, there was also a Methodist preacher. And Lincoln knew that the Methodist preacher did the circuit as well, and that the Methodist preacher must have had to face the Fox River many times. And so Lincoln asked this Methodist preacher, like, what advice would you have? Are you familiar with the Fox River? How do you handle your worry about the crossing of the Fox River? And here's what the Methodist preacher said, and I love this. The Methodist preacher said, as reported by Lincoln, Oh, yes, I know all about the Fox River. I have crossed it often, and I understand it well. And the Methodist preacher said, I have one fixed rule with regard to Fox River. I never cross it till I cross it. In other words, we can worry and worry and worry. Our worry can paralyze us such that we'll never even make it to the Fox River, much less cross it. And the Methodist preacher is saying, because I'm called to live for more, I never crossed the Fox River until I cross it. The Methodist preacher had learned how to worry less to live for more. There's one more piece of the story in our passage in Luke. Let's pick up the story once again in verse 32. So Jesus says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor the living for more. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, 
a treasure in heaven that will never fail. I always think of our, our heavenly treasures, um, amazing people when I read this passage. Where n- no thief comes near and no moth destroys. And Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I read a quote about worry that said that worriers feel every blow that never falls and they cry over things they will never lose. (laughs) We can be so paralyzed by worry that we feel the effects of things that aren't even happening and never would have happened. And we can be so paralyzed that we never live for more because we never learn how to worry less. So how do we worry less so we can live for more? Jesus has told us in this passage to rely on him. We can't add even an hour to our life. We can rely on him, though. Life is more than food, he said. The body is more than clothes. And he feeds us, and he clothes us. Jesus has called God our Father and said, Your Father knows your needs. And your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. And I think this is the key to worrying less so we can live for more. If we know who God is and we know who we are in God. A little while back, I was at a low point in my life. I was almost feeling like I was losing my sense of calling. And I went through this this thing called coaching on calling where a coach helped me to reflect on my calling in him and my calling to live for more. And as a part of this coaching on calling, one of my assignments was create was to create a personal identity statement. And I want to read mine to you and I want to share it with you because it's yours as well as mine. So I wrote, I am cherished, uniquely created, fully known, and deeply loved by God. When I feel worried, I can remember I am cherished by God. We are cherished by God. He loves us. He likes us. He values us. He treasures us. We are uniquely created. God created us. And again, he values us. He provides for us. And we are fully known by God. He knows our needs. He knows us. And we are deeply loved by him. And I believe that as we know God and we know who we are in him, we are able to trust in his provision and to worry less and to live for more. And so God invites us to seek his kingdom, to store up treasure in heaven, to store up treasure that doesn't grow old and rot away, but treasure that lasts and that is eternal. God invites us to serve. He invites us to lead as he leads us. He invites us to love. He invites us to follow him. He truly invites us to worry less for the sake of living for more. Let's look at our weekly challenge. So every week we have a weekly challenge that invites us to know the gospel, to know what God is saying to us in scripture, to grow in our faith, and then to overflow so that 
what we are experiencing doesn't just stay in this room, but extends beyond this room, that God's love could go forth to the city and region and beyond. You're welcome to take out your cell phone if you'd like to take a photo of this. We'll also include it in the weekly email. So I invite you this week to reflect on what causes you to worry. What are some of those top things? Family issues, financial issues, medical difficulties. What are the things that cause you to worry? And then read back through this first portion of our passage from Luke. And reflect with God, seek God on what it means for you to seek God's kingdom. As you and I worry less, what will it mean for you and me to live for more? And then to grow, let's spend some time alone with God this week, listening to his truth about who he is and who you are in him, the biblical identity piece. And perhaps write down what you sense from God. You could write down your own biblical identity statement coming from scripture and coming from prayer and hearing God's voice. And then for overflow, read these final verses of our passage from today and ask God for your next step to worry less and to live for more. And then do that. And I'll be doing that as well in my own life. Would you join me in prayer together as we respond to Jesus' words? God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for who we are in you. Thank you that you have created us. Thank you that we are your children. Thank you that you provide for your children, that you feed your children, you clothe your children beautifully and powerfully. Thank you, God, that you always have provided for your children, and you always will. And God, I pray for us here in this place. Help us to honestly bring to you our worry. And help us to receive from you that trust, that freedom, to know that you truly do provide for us. God, help us not to be paralyzed by worry. Help us not to face the Fox River before we even get to it. God, help us to to worry less and to live for more. And God, help us to know what that means, what living for more for you, God, means. For us as a church, for us as individuals, God, show us your next step for us to live for more for you. God, I pray for all of us here that we would have a deep revelation of your love and your provision, God. I pray that worry would fall off of people here in this room today and be replaced by by a trust in you, our Father. And then, God, I pray that you would use us powerfully with humility, God, as we follow you, that we could live for more. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for how you are with us. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's continue together and respond with um, a final song of worship this morning. Can we please stand?